0: good morning friends and welcome to next great to have all of you here today we appreciate you and we're honored that you would make next a part of your sunday morning and we hope that what you hear today will bless you and maybe grow you just a little bit and happy father's day to all of our fathers And uh, you know what, folks, I I would give a lot to be able to hear Billy Dean tell one of his horrible jokes and be able to wrap my arms around his neck this morning and listen to that old gravelly voice one more time. So if your father is still here on terra firma, make the most of the opportunity that you have today to let him know that you love him. Podcasters, thank you for joining us wherever you are. We appreciate you listening in today. We're going to continue today in our series, Just Do Something, that comes from the book Kevin De, um, comes from Kevin DeYoung's book, Just Do Something: A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will. Uh, for those of you that are burnt out on this series, we got about mm, one more left, maybe two more after today. So we're getting close. But last week was part two of Ordinary Guidance and Supernatural Surprises. So part one was the ordinary guidance part. And then last week was part two, the supernatural surprises part. So I just want to review for just a moment. Last week, we referenced a lot of scripture in the book of Acts that talked about visions and angels and audible voices and mysterious promptings and prophetic predictions. But there's a strong case to be made for the fact that these examples from, of the supernatural from the book of Acts are not meant to be the normal pattern Underline, highlight, the normal pattern for our lives. Can they happen? Absolutely. Uh, Should we look for them every day? Probably not. Um, Every time that we think we need a supernatural confirmation, have you gotten it? No. What about the times where you just really needed it or thought you needed that supernatural confirmation? Did you get it? No, so look, let me make a couple of points as we're reviewing Uh, those events of special revelation of, of supernatural revelation that we read about in the book of Acts. They weren't normal, not even for the apostles and point number two, that extraordinary means of guidance that we read about in Acts wasn't sought. They weren't seeking after those things. And so I made this point last week, and I want to make it again because this is my point, not Kevin DeYoung's. If we know better than to judge our, our lives by someone's social media, filtered, staged, highlighted highlights of their lives, right? We always hear that. Don't judge your life by somebody else's highlight reel. Okay, great. Well, if we know better than that then why why should we judge the validity of our own normative experience with God and His guidance in our lives against a few extraordinary examples that rarely happened even for the apostles? So sure, Peter had a vision on a rooftop one day and heard an audible voice one day, but what about all the other days? And what about all the other weeks and all the other months? And sure, Paul got uh, a visit from an angel on a ship, in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm. But what about all those other painful nights? What about all those other times where he experienced uh, pain and separation or was in prison? And then we talked about the spiritual gifts. You know, God can use extraordinary means whenever he wants to, but they are, by definition, out of the ordinary. They are extra ordinary and shouldn't be expected for routine guidance and direction so we cannot force god's hand and we cannot force his voice but whenever god wants to talk to you rest assured he knows exactly how to get your attention and you're not going to be able to stop him whenever he wants to get your attention so here's where we ended last week unless and until something extraordinary happens keep following scripture keep listening to wisdom God put those wise people in your life for a reason. Listen to them. Keep making choices that get you closer to Jesus instead of farther away from Jesus. Keep making choices that make you more like him, that make you more holy and not less holy. Just keep doing that. And whenever God looks at your life and says, wow, they need some supernatural direction right now, he'll give it to you. So this week, I want to talk to you about the tools of the trade. Tools of the trade, super practical stuff. What to do with open doors, fleeces, random Bible verses, and impressions. So I hope you take some good notes today, because Jesus likes it when you take notes. Maybe you guys remember this story uh, from the news a few years ago. The headline reads, Man, 91, Dies, Waiting for the Will of God. Tupelo, Mississippi. Walter Houston, described by family members as a devoted Christian, died Monday after waiting 70 years for for God to give him clear direction about what to do with his life. Quote, he hung around the house and prayed a lot, but just never got that confirmation, his wife Ruby says. Sometimes he thought he heard God's voice, but then he wouldn't be sure and he'd start the process all over again. Houston, she says, never really figured out what his life was about, but felt content to pray continuously about what he might do for the Lord. Whenever he was about to take action, though, he would pull back because he just didn't want to disappoint God or go against him in any way, Ruby says. He was very sensitive to always remaining in God's will. That was primary to him. Walter had a number of skills he never got around to using, says longtime friend Timothy Burns. He was a pretty good carpenter and could make some solid furniture, and he had a storyteller side to him, too. I always told him, man, go for it. Try something new if you're not happy. But he was too afraid of letting the Lord down. To his credit, they say, Houston, who worked mainly as a handyman, was able to pay off the mortgage on the couple's modest home. Now, if you saw this report, then you must be a fan of larknews.com. Anybody ever checked out Lark News? Babylon B? Never heard of that one either? You should. It'll make you laugh. It's one of those funny but true collections of fake Christian news. So this story about 91-year-old Walter Houston is not real, but it could be, couldn't it? Because at the rate some of us are going, we are still going to be exploring our future at 30 entering adulthood at 40, trying to find ourselves at 50, questioning everything at 60, pondering a career move at 70, wondering what we were made for at 80, and still waiting on God's will at 90. And then we'll die, never having done much of anything. If we had done something, anything, really faithfully and humbly, and for God's glory during all that time, we probably could have made quite an impact. But if we do nothing, Because we are always trying to figure out the perfect something and the perfect timing, then whenever it comes time to show God what we did with what he gave us, we will not have anything to show for it. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verses 4 through 6 says this, Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant, and if they watch every cloud they never harvest. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind, or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. Watch this. Verse 6. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon, for you don't know if, it, if profit will come from one activity or another, or maybe both. You know, over the years, Christians that have a history of being anxious and risk-averse have attempted to rely on a number of tools. We're going to call them tools of the trade today for discerning God's will. And today we're going to look at four of those tools. There are others, but I just kind of felt the need to step on some Pentecostal toes this morning and talk about open doors and fleeces and random Bible verses and impressions. Now look, here's the deal. I am not illegitimatizing, whatever that word is, these tools in any way. They are, they are legitimate. They certainly are. They are legitimate, useful tools that can be used effectively and wisely. But all four of them can also be used as instruments of foolishness. So let's learn some stuff. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus says this. It says, Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. King James would be, don't tempt the Lord thy God. Now, look, context matters. You'll hear me say that all the time. This passage comes from that time when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, and he fasted and he prays for 40 days, and then he gets tempted by the devil. So, you know, there's a whole lot to be said there. Uh, The spirit led him somewhere and he was trying to do something spiritual, fast and pray and wanted to get in return for it. He got tempted. So just because you're trying to do something spiritual and you face opposition doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. Probably means that you're doing something right. But anyway, Satan tempts Jesus. And this is what he says in verse five. It says the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And that's whenever Jesus replies our text today, well, look, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord, your God. Now, that's an interesting reply, and it's interesting on a lot of levels for a lot of different reasons. For one thing, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, you, you realize who I am, right? And you know what happened the last time you messed with me? I know who I am, and you know who I am. You don't mess with the Lord your God. But this is also interesting, too. Jesus was quoting Scripture. Well, what Scripture was he quoting? He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. So, Deuteronomy 6 and 16 that Jesus is quoting was Moses speaking to all of Israel, and this is what he says. He says, you must not, this is Moses talking now in Deuteronomy, you must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. So what Moses is referring to in Deuteronomy 6 and 16, stay with me, is a story from Exodus chapter 17. So this is where all of this comes from, whenever Jesus is referring, or this is the scripture that Jesus is referring to. Exodus 17, this is what uh, happened. It says that the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually, they camped at some R word, but there was no water there for people to drink. So So once more the people complained against Moses, give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. You want me to turn this car around right now? Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why? Watch this. Are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out, look, we have a need and other people are relying on you. We've got a need. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. Watch this. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Massa which means test and mirabah which means arguing because the people of Israel argued with Moses listen listen pay attention and tested the Lord by saying is the Lord here with us or not how did they test the Lord by saying is the Lord here with us or not how did they tempt the Lord their god by saying Is the Lord here with us or not? All of that to say, context matters. When Jesus says in Matthew 4 and 7, it's not a good idea to test or it's not a good idea to tempt the Lord thy God, what he's saying is it's not a good idea for you to keep asking for proof of God's intentions toward you. And here I'm going to quote Ellicott's commentary for English readers. You don't have this on the screen, but listen. It says, In the history thus referred to, the sin of the people had been that they questioned the presence of God with them until they saw supernatural proof. They asked, Is Jehovah with us or not? And that question sprang from unbelief. Now, was Jehovah with them? Well, good grief. Let's look at everything that had happened throughout the book of Exodus. The ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. Was Jehovah with them? Absolutely he was. So where did they mess up? We need supernatural proof of your intentions toward us that you're still going to take care of us. So on that bit of scriptural context and a little bit of commentary from me, with all of that in mind, let's, let's get to talking about the tools of the trade. Let's talk about open doors. i got some Christianese for you today. Christianese, Christianese, that's what we call it. The stuff that Christians say that makes absolutely no sense to anybody else. So here's some Christianese. I'm waiting on an open door from the Lord. Or, brother, don't worry. God will open a door. He always does. Or, sister, everything is going to be fine. Because whenever God closes a door he opens a window. Hmm. Christianese. You know, and that's great. That's great if, if we see the open door as an opportunity to do something that we already know is good, like sharing the gospel with our neighbor. You know, God opened the door for me to share the gospel with my neighbor, uh, and, and that's great. Or uh, taking a job to feed your family, that, that's, that's, that'd be a good thing. Uh, even though it's not maybe the work that you've always wanted, God opens a door for you to have a job to provide for your family. Or finding out that there's one more spot left in that, in that college program or that study abroad program, and, and you've been interested in it, so you apply for it. In such cases, we refer to open doors. And, and whenever we talk about that, what we're doing is we're talking about opportunities that God gives us to do good things That we already wanted to do. But there are some foolish applications of this open door theology. Sometimes Christians use the absence of an open door as an excuse for laziness. I put my resume on monster.com last week and nobody's called me back or contacted me. The Lord just isn't opening any doors. Maybe so. Or maybe... You need to pick up the phone and make some phone calls and go out and knock on some doors, and at like physical doors, not the spiritual spooky doors, but knock on some doors, introduce yourself to some people, make some personal visits before you blame your lack of employment on Jesus. Likewise, Christians will use the open-door theology to bless whatever bad idea they had already decided on doing. I know my marriage is in shambles and my wife wants me to be around the house more so that we can work on things and and spend time with the kids, but God's opened this door for me to get this really great promotion and it's going to require me to travel 30 weeks out of the year and I'll be gone from home even more than I was ever, But, but God's leading me to take this job, right? Otherwise, there wouldn't have been this open door. Look, God's open door, I hope you're taking notes, God's open door is not going to make you less holy, or less committed to the things that he cares about. Things like your spiritual life and your family and your church and your health. And nor will God's open door allow you to spiritualize your cowardice. You know, I I really need to call my sister and have a difficult conversation with her about that thing that happened over the holidays. I should really talk to her. But my cell phone's all out of minutes, so maybe maybe I'll just send an email. It's just not the will. Of, it's not, God's not opening a door. There's just not an open door for me to be able to call my sister. Newsflash, folks, the convenient way isn't always God's way of making a more comfortable way for you. You know, whenever God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, but Jonah went down to Joppa and then found a ship headed for Tarshish and going in the opposite direction. Was that an open door from the Lord? Well, I know he told me to go to Nineveh, but here's the ship going to Tarshish. That's an open door, right? Was that the favorable hand of providence that we talked about confirming Jonah's decision to do the direct opposite that God had told him to do in going to Nineveh? Of course not. So here's the bottom line about open doors. If God opens the door for you to do something that you already know is good or that you already know is necessary, be thankful for that opportunity and give him credit. But other than that, don't. Don't. Don't assume the relative ease or the relative difficulty of a new situation is God's way of telling you to do one thing or another because sometimes God is interested in us doing some very hard things. And ultimately, God's will for your life is your sanctification. His will for your life is to become more like Him. And God tends to use discomfort and trials more than comfort and ease to make us holy. God tends to use problems and storms more than unicorns and rainbows to make us more like Him. Open doors. They're a tool of the trade, but you've got to use them right. Let's talk about fleeces, flee them. That's the word, flee them. Look, what Christian in the middle of a perplexing situation hasn't been inspired by Gideon's story? That's where we get this from, right? The story of Gideon and Judges and laid out a metaphorical fleece before the Lord. How many of you have done it? How many of you have fleeced the Lord? Okay. A lot of people on this side, you folks over here, y'all need to pick up your game a little bit. Okay, so, uh, whew, 1997, Julia and I bought our first new car. It was a 1998 Honda Accord sedan, champagne gold. Terrible experience. Not the car, just the experience of buying the car. Uh, the best way I can sum it up is to say that we were just young and stupid just stupid, Um, made some, just some stupid car buying mistakes. We gave them a check for a down payment before they would discuss negotiation, right? Got all emotional. I mean, it was just, it was, we were, we were stupid. Now going in, we had told ourselves, if this is a God thing, we know what we can afford. We run the budget. That's like Excel spreadsheet master back there. Okay. $300 a month. That's what we can afford. $300 a month. And if it's over that, then we got to walk away. That's not God's will. That's not God's will. And the finance manager, the the salesman was great. He was awesome. I loved him. The finance manager was great at her job. I hated her. $305.23 was the final price per month for the 98 Honda Accord. But we had said that $300 a month, was God's magic number. And I can still remember sitting across the, uh, the desk from this, from this person that I couldn't stand and her saying, are you really going to walk away from such a great deal over $5.23 a month? And I said, do you really want to taste my left hand right across? But by all accounts, we should have walked away. But in the end, we didn't. And that car, believe it or not, Served us well for 12 years. We rode that thing until the wheels fell off of it. Now here's my point. Has anybody else ever had a similar experience? Okay. Making decisions by testing God with fleeces is generally a bad idea. But sometimes fleecing God can look a whole lot Like doing your homework and setting realistic goals and expectations. You know what? Knowing your budget and sticking to your guns to get a good finance rate on a car, that's good stewardship and good goal setting. And it's a good way to handle some of life's big decisions. Humble goals and loosely held plans, those are a good thing. Humble goals, loosely held plans, good. Expecting God to do tricks for us, that's bad. Don't pray, God, and this is a silly example, but God, if you want me to go on this date, then you're going to have all of my professors cancel all of the assignments so that I'm completely free this weekend, and and that way I'll know. And if you don't do that, it just tells me that it's not the Lord's will for me to go out with him or go out with her. The whole approach is wrong, and maybe just a little bit too close to what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 4 and 7. It's like saying, God, all right, look, I'm going to jump out of this perfectly good airplane without a parachute, and if it's your will for me to live, then you'll make a way. That's, that's not fleecing. That's stupid. That's just stupid. So, okay, well, Jason, what about Gideon then? What about Gideon? Because Gideon did it, and we've got Scripture that, he, that, that it worked. Okay, well, let's talk about Gideon. First of all, Gideon didn't have a Bible. This is the book of Judges. Gideon probably did not have a single page of Scripture to hold on to you do read it so whenever we start talking about his need for fleecing he didn't have thousands of years of scripture to fall back on number two the book of judges generally does not provide a good example of much of anything much less how people should interact with God. Whenever the theme of the book, Genesis chapter or Judges 21 says everyone did what was right in their own eyes, we should think twice before we start copying and pasting the practices of judges into our own lives. Number 3, Gideon's request was probably an indication of cowardice and fear and unbelief more than faithful wise decision making. Okay, let's get the setting. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. So he's down in the bottom of a wine press using it for something that it was never intended to be used for, threshing wheat, because he was afraid of the Midianites. That's why preachers always talk about how ironic it is that whenever the angel of the Lord appears and calls him a mighty man of valor or God's mighty warrior, again, probably not the best person to pattern your life's big decisions after. And finally... God was calling Gideon to do battle against 135,000 Midianite soldiers with eventually 300 men. That's a pretty special case. It's a little rare and it's a little extreme as far as the callings of God go. You know, my car buying angst doesn't even come close to what God was calling Gideon to do. So, in my friend Nathan Henson's words, there are better ways. There's better ways. That's what he tells me whenever I'm doing something dumb. Jason, there's better ways. So open doors, check them. Check them and check your thinking. Fleeces, flee them because there are better ways to make decisions. All right, let's talk about random Bible verses. Y'all know better than this, but we're going to cover it anyway. Some people put more stock in the Word of God whenever it is randomly selected than when it is read chapter by chapter every day. And I don't get it. Because the Bible carries no greater weight because you flip to some verse at random. God does speak to us specifically and meaningly through Scripture at certain times and, and tells us exactly what we need to hear. He does that. Absolutely He does. The Word is alive and it's powerful. And God uses His Word to convict us and inspire us and change us. He brings, his, he brings verses to mind. And He sends a powerful sermon uh, that it, it just comes along in our moments of greatest need how many of you had that happen you you just you're in a place of need hadn't really said anything about it to anybody but then somebody preaches a sermon you're like oh God you're, you know where I am. He'll lead us to a passage of scripture that, that says just what he wants us to hear so look the problem is not with God's ability to direct our attention to the right verses. The problem is whenever we treat a random Bible verse as holier than any other kind of Bible reading. And when we take verses out of context and make them say things that they were never intended to say. Here's a scenario for you. Jake, great guy, dating a great gal. Her name's Becky. So Jake is dating Becky. And he's thinking of popping a question, but he's just not sure about it. So he asked the Lord for a sign. Now, today is January 24th, and his Bible reading plan has him reading from Genesis chapter 24. And he gets to the end of Genesis chapter 4, and he reads, And he married Rebekah, so she became his wife, and he loved her. And Jake takes it as a sure word from God that he should propose to Becky, because to delay any longer would just be disobedience. And maybe you guys have heard the old preacher joke about the man who prayed for a specific word from God uh, about what to do with his life. And so he just opened his Bible, pointed his finger, opened his eyes. And it was on Matthew 27 and 5 where it says Judas went out and hanged himself. So he's like, Lord, I'm not too sure about this one. Let's try again. So he closes his Bible, opens it back up, points his finger and finds that his finger is pointed to Luke ten thirty-seven, which says, And Jesus said unto him, Go ye and do likewise. Now look, the Bible promises us many things. But don't take it out of context. Context matters. Don't rely on random Bible verses. Read your Bible and read it consistently and read it with purpose. Get the YouVersion Bible app. Get you some devotions going. It'll help you. God will get your attention through Scripture whenever He needs to. Open doors, fleeces, random Bible verses. Let's talk about impressions. You know, we all go with our gut sometimes, uh, some people more than others. But sometimes we make decisions based on feelings and, and our intuition. We get an impression of what to do, and, and we do it. And most of the time, there's nothing wrong with that approach. Uh, getting a nudge to give a cold bottle of water to that officer out there directing traffic in, in July, South Louisiana heat, that's always going to be a good thing. Do that. We're not uh, trying to make us all into these hyper-rationalistic decision makers who don't order anything from the Chili's appetizer menu until they've consulted their Excel spreadsheet. That's not the goal, okay? That's not the point. You know, the series is called Just Do Something, not just don't do nothing until you're positive that you're making the absolute best decision. That's not the name of of this series. Impressions can be good things and they can lead to good things. The problem isn't that impressions are subjective. The problem is in assuming that they are all from the Lord. I just felt led to tell you. I've said it. I preached about it not too long ago. If I, if I, if I followed through on everything that I felt led to do, if I ate as much as I feel led? Huh? If I worked out like I feel? If I went to work as I felt led to go to work? Okay, so the the problem isn't with the impression. The problem is that assuming that all impressions are from the Lord. Impressions are impressions, guys, and that's it. They they don't get a special category or, or special treatment. You know, maybe that thought, popped in my head while I was reading scripture, you know what, I should call my friend BT this morning. I'm going to call BT and just let him know how much I appreciate him and how much I love him and how much I value his impact and let him know that I'm praying for him. And maybe that thought that popped in my head to do that, maybe that came from God because God knew that my friend BT just needed to hear some words of affirmation, just needed to know that, that somebody was in his corner. Or maybe my friend BT is out there running an excavator at the moment and doesn't really have time to talk to anybody. And while he appreciates the sentiment, it's not really a God thing. Is it a good thing? Absolutely. But a God thing? Not necessarily. So we all get intuitions and impressions and hunches and gut feelings. Some of us operate on that more than others. Some are from the Lord. Some aren't. Most often, it probably doesn't matter. Here's the deal. If your gut serves you well, listen to it if your gut doesn't serve you well and you've made some boneheaded decisions based on impressions, then don't listen to it. Make an Excel spreadsheet. Make your list of pros and cons. Just don't make it an extra special factor in your decision making. How's that? I'm just not getting an impression. Don't think you need that peaceful, easy feeling. I got a peaceful, easy feeling. Well, what if you don't get that, Don Henley? Well, you still got to make up your mind. So here's a final word. Don't manipulate or abuse the tools of the trade because God has given us these tools and they're valuable tools and they can be effective tools, but don't abuse them or manipulate them. Open doors, fleeces, random Bible verses, impressions. Here's the deal. Hold them in their proper perspective. Because they have their place and they have, the, have their usefulness in the Christian life. But God didn't call us to superstition. He didn't call us to inactivity until we get you know the liver quiver heebie-jeebies or whatever it is you're waiting on to make that decision. Listen to this quote from hymn writer and pastor John Newton. So this is like circa 1790. But listen to what John Newton said. In general, he being God guides and directs his people by affording them in answer to prayer, the light of his Holy Spirit, which enables them to understand and to love the scriptures. The word of God is not to be used as a lottery. Don't reduce the word of God to a horoscope, folks. Nor is it designed to instruct us by shreds and scraps, which detached from their proper places have no determinative import, but is to furnish us with just principles Right apprehensions to regulate our judgments and affections, and thereby to influence and direct our conduct. There's a word for this approach to guidance and the will of God, folks. It's called wisdom. And it's not sexy, it's not flashy, it's not the Ferrari of spiritual gifts, it's not eye catching, and it certainly doesn't require a secret decoder ring. Okay? But it's a really great way to live and make decisions. It's called wisdom. So let's end today with this passage from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. It says this For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding, he grants a treasure of common sense. Help us all, Jesus, to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the path of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then will you understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. So next week, We're going to talk about the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom next week. Let's pray. Lord, you have set it up so perfectly how to guide us. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've given us examples. You've surrounded us with wise counsel. And then we have all of these other things, Lord. Open doors and impressions and sometimes fleeces. You've, you've, you've set it up. you set it up the right way. Help us to use it the right way. Lord, give us wisdom that comes from an association with You, a relationship with You, and a relationship with Your Word. Lord, give us wisdom to guide us in those big decisions we have to make. And help us, Lord, to trust Your motives for us and Your hand working in our lives so that we don't test You and constantly ask for supernatural proof of your love for us. Jesus, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. God bless you today. Happy Father's Day. We'll see you next door if you want.